everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Life Podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance. I'm your host, Mark Azzini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. Every two weeks, I connect with PMMs all over the world about a product marketing topic of their choice. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Yana Freyova, Team Lead, Growth and Product Marketing at Bendesk. After beginning her career in environmental law, Yana made the unexpected jump to product marketing after seeing a job posting in the utilities space. Taking her industry knowledge with her, Yana quickly advanced from her role as a product marketing analyst at Oracle to product marketing leader at Axway, and now a product marketing and growth team lead at Spendesk. At Spendesk, Yana and her team are developing a complete spend management platform that's built for finance teams to make faster, smarter spending decisions. With Spendesk, finance teams get a seven-in-one solution with corporate cards, invoice payments, expense reimbursements, budgets, approval, reporting, compliance, and pre-accounting in one simple, scalable solution. During our chat, Yana and I explore the unique dynamic relationship between growth and product marketing teams. From the role product marketing plays in experimentation to how they collaborate directly with their growth counterparts to drive conversion at every stage of the funnel, Yana provides great insight into how these two teams combine to generate tangible outcomes for the product and the customer. Before I get into the episode, I've got some exciting news to share from the Product Marketing Alliance. Are you wondering how to align the product marketing function at your organization? Do your internal teams have little or no understanding of what product marketing is and the benefits you bring to the fore? Are you sick of being misunderstood? Product Marketing Alliance's brand new book, Misunderstood, features firsthand knowledge, techniques, and case studies to help you demystify product marketing, elevate the function, and gain the recognition you and fellow PMMs deserve. Learn how to effectively communicate the value you bring to key processes such as positioning, personas, segmentation, OKRs, and gain supplementary intel from the likes of Privy, G2, Hotjar, Intercom, Zendesk, Adobe, and Drift. Misunderstood is packed with takeaways that'll propel the value of your role and the overall importance of the PMM function and isn't to be missed. Get your copy at pmmalliance.co slash misunderstood. That's pmmalliance.co slash misunderstood. Hey, Yana, how's it going? Great. Hey, Mark. How was your weekend? Great. Thanks for asking. Super excited to have you here today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, let's get into it then. Can you share with our listeners your career journey so far and how you ended up as the team lead of growth and product marketing at Spendesk? Um, Yeah, sure. So I think my journey is probably quite recognizable by a lot of product marketers. Uh, because I started off very far away from product marketing and then I just sort of fell into it like most people do. So I'm actually a lawyer by background. Um, I never wanted to be a lawyer, but I thought it's a great degree to have for life. And I started my career in Brussels where I worked in regulatory affairs, uh, focusing on climate change and energy. And a few years down the line, I needed to have something a little bit more tangible, I, I was drawn to some more commercial tangible results and I ended up stumbling across an ad um, at energy efficiency company, um, which was for a product marketer. And that's how I got into product marketing. And from there, I, yeah, I changed a couple of companies. I ended up in France and I'm working for Spendesk, which is a fintech unicorn. Um, and it's been really exciting to join Spendesk uh, because we are really establishing new functions, building a lot of new products. Um, and I have the opportunity to build a really amazing team that's focusing on product marketing growth. 
Thanks for sharing that. And and yeah, as someone who works in fintech as well, it's obviously a very exciting space to be in. And as you said, it sounds like Spendesk is doing some pretty interesting and unique things, which has allowed them to achieve the growth that they have. So I'm sure it's been an exciting journey and we'll, we'll dive a little bit deeper into that in just a minute here. But before we do, I'd love to just take a step back and ask you, when you had that first interview for that product marketing role, coming into it as a lawyer, how did you navigate that conversation? What how did the interviewer approach interviewing someone with almost no marketing experience from a complete, I, I can imagine, opposite background um, <laughs> for a for that type of opportunity? I'm curious how that conversation went. Oh my God, that's a good question. It's such a long time ago. I can't even remember, but I think um, I think like either you can get into product marketing because you have um, a similar background in terms of, you know, man management consulting, another marketing uh, function or um, generic business background, or you're a subject matter expert on the industry the, um, where the company is uh, operating in. And that was my case. So I think my interview probably focused more on the latter because I come, I came from energy climate change background. And the software company I was joining was focused on energy efficiency. So that's how I got into product marketing. And I think the first um, first interview probably focused a lot on that. And then I think there are certain skills that are just transferable. Um, for example, analytical skills, problem solving or research. I actually think that um, law prepared me really well for that in terms of uh, in terms of product marketing. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if it's a great answer because <laughs> I feel so old now. It's been so many years ago that I had the no, interview. Yeah, that's a fantastic answer, honestly, because I think it just reaffirms that idea that especially for people trying to get into product marketing who might not have a marketing background at all, identifying those areas where you have that subject matter expertise is critical. So again, like look for opportunities in industries that are similar, if not the exact same as the one that you're in, but in a different function, specifically product marketing. So I think that's, you know, great advice. And I think that's, uh, your story is very representative of that. So thank you for sharing. Of course. Awesome. So let's look a little bit closer at your current role at Spendesk. Because again, I, I found, and, and one of the reasons why I was so excited to chat with you is the nature of your role and the teams that you oversee. You know, it's not often that you see both growth and product marketing grouped together under one roof, especially so closely together. You know, at some orgs, they're part of the broader, mar broader marketing group, but they tend to report into a central marketing um, figurehead. In your case, can you explain how the growth and product marketing teams work together at Spendesk and what some of the benefits of those two groups working so closely together are? Yeah, sure. So um, I think what's really interesting with the journey at Spendesk is that um, we started, as a lot of companies do, focused really on the traditional sales-led approach. And uh, we are slowly building um, the self-serve approach where basically we are leveraging the product to help customers with onboarding, but also for their um, adoption of our product. Um, and um, for example, when I joined, we had the customer success team heavily involved and there were a lot of different touch points and onboarding took really long time. And over time, we are trying to make it more automated. So we are building that self-serve aspect um, where we introduce customers into the funnel through sales approach, but then we are really trying to build up that self um, a self-serve approach. Um, and so that's why in the product marketing, we now also have three functions. 
Um, so we have the bigger team, but now we're actually split between the traditional sales lot um, product marketing and the gross product marketing, um, which is which is the team I'm heading. Um, and so we strongly cooperate with the product team that's actually split in the same way now. So we have the core product team that's uh, building new products and working with product marketing that's uh, in charge of uh, the typical market launches and sales enablement and competitive intel. Um, and then my team that's focused on growth is working with the growth um, product team. Um, so that's how we're split. And I think it's more and more the case across a lot of other companies, because when we started setting up this process and when I started setting up this function, I tried to reach out to a lot of people in the industry. And I realized that actually a lot of companies have both um, sales lot and self-serve, i.e. growth um, type of funnel. Um, so yeah, so that's how we've been typically, typically working um, with growth. Thanks for sharing that. And I think it's so illustrative of how diverse the options are when it comes to setting up the product marketing team. Um, you know, like you said, when reaching out to industry experts, I'm sure you've got a variety of answers as to how different product um, teams are set up. And I can't even speak at my own experiences. I've never personally come across a product team so aligned and working so closely with the growth side of the org. Um, you know, I think depending on how the org is set, is set up, as you said, sometimes growth can be part of the product org. Sometimes it can be part of the marketing org. It really differs and how product marketing aligns to that can go a number of different ways. And it sounds like the way that you structured it at Spendesk has really worked. And I want to dive into that a little bit later on and, and how that relationship plays out and the different things that you partner on. But before that, I want to touch on a couple of things that you said in your answer just now. You talked about this idea of a lot of orgs are traditionally sales-led, and there's this shift towards you know self-serve or or um, product-led growth. Can you quickly explain the difference between those two and how product marketing team structures um, you know could differ, and the approach to experimentation specifically may change between either a sales-led or a self-serve or product-led growth approach? Yeah, so I think very simplistically, the sales-led is basically if you have humans involved. Um, and I think the, uh, so basically there is someone like a human being from the company involved across the whole funnel. Um, you have the salesperson at the beginning, you know, you have the traditional demand and approach. You turn a lead into market qualified lead and sales qualified lead. Um, they, that per, that customer, the lead is handheld until they turn into paying customer and then they are passed on to account manager. Um, versus with self-serve, you try to automate as much of this journey as possible. Um, so for example, we have been really trying to remove a lot of the um, account management touch points and uh, really automate the whole process in terms of onboarding on the product, educating, discovering the product further. Um, so to me, those are the key differences. Also, another difference is that you see uh, often the sales-led approach is really following this funnel, which basically ends with retention. But I feel from product marketing perspective, I've always typically worked at the top of the funnel in terms of trying to get more and more customers. But once someone became a customer, I felt we've often dropped the ball because we more focused on trying to get more customers on board versus with self-serve, I feel the focus is really more on the customer retention, um, basically getting the customer into the flywheel. 
um, and sort of like an easy way, but then really grow the adoption and retention. So I feel it's really focusing more on the customer experience as opposed to just trying to build more leads. Um, so that also, I think it's also more exciting and um, like you, you feel you're focusing on the right thing in a way when it comes to really customer focus and customer happiness. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's great to see again, how the different approaches, um, you know, how, how different the approaches themselves are. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to share an opinion and I'm curious to get your thoughts on it as well. I think oftentimes when we hear this idea of, you know, sales led versus self-serve, there's this assumption that, you know, the reason this transition is happening at a lot of companies is because sales led isn't scalable. And it's hard to throw people at the problem because people are expensive, as we know. And I think a lot of criticisms of this shift or a lot of people who criticize this shift say, well, this is just an excuse for companies to, to reduce headcount. And I think, you know, in some unfortunate situations, that is the case, not all in some, but I think what people who make the argument fail to realize is that people are, as we know, like incredibly talented and, and wildly gifted at doing a job when you give them purpose. And I think a lot of times at the sales-led approach, people just get thrown at the funnel. It's just, let's just throw as many people as possible. Whereas I think a more intelligent approach is what you're seeing on self-serve, where you have a product doing the low-touch, very easy automated stuff to retain and, and have that customer experience be as best as possible within the product. And then you take the people who would otherwise you know, be focusing on the funnel and getting them to actually interact with the higher value customers and be delighters to that experience. So it's not necessarily that you're reducing headcount, you're kind of shifting their focus and getting more value for that time and energy spent. So you don't necessarily have a bunch of people focusing on potentially lower value accounts or accounts that might churn regardless of whether or not someone was involved in that process. So that's kind of my own, you know, half dash opinion, but I'm curious if, if you would agree with that or if you have a differing opinion there. Um, no, I completely agree. I think it's a great summary, especially then when it comes to product lot, you really move I completely agree. You sort of moved uh, the people from the very top of the funnel to the very end of the funnel, which basically means that you're really making your acquisition very cheap um, because you're basically offering typically um, some part of your product for free. So you get them into your funnel and then you just have to grow it. And when they reach a certain point, that's when you may integrate sales or when they reach a certain size, that's when you may integrate the account management. And I think is is a lot more practical way of um, using your resources. And it not necessarily mean that you will use fewer resources. You just use them at a lot more strategic points in, in the journey. Um, so you can really have this amazing growth. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And thank you for summarizing what I just said in a much more eloquent way. <laughs> I, I think you hit yeah, the nail on the head there. So thank you for that. All right. So, so moving on here, just going back to, again, um, growth teams and product marketing teams and how they work together. I think typically when we think of growth teams, we think of experimentation. That's the thought that often comes to mind. So can you explain the role product marketing at Spendesk plays in that experimentation and where they spend the most of their focus? Um, absolutely. So I must say this is, this is a fairly new area for me and one that I probably find most exciting. Um, and I think there are three different places where product marketing plays a role. So the most um, sort of the one where we're most visible is on, on the website, because that's actually where we own uh, and when we run the experimentation. So part of the growth and product marketing team is our web squad. Um, and that's composed of our web product manager, uh, project manager, 
growth engineer and a brand designer. So it's a really cross-functional team. Um, and they work very closely with a lot of other teams uh, because it's super important to be as cross-functional as possible for this because it's really it, about being creative and coming up with a lot of different ideas. Um, and they essentially analyze how to improve our conversion rate um, because that's our key metric for, for our website. Um, and they have different ideas, then they, uh, they do solution ideation, they prioritize the ideas, and then they run the tests. And with tests that perform well, we basically try to scale them and productize them across the web. So this is where we really own the experimentation. Then um, the second aspect is once someone is in the product, um, we are building experimentation or the product team is building um, the experimentation infrastructure on the product side. So we can run similar experiments uh, within the product as well. Um, and by the way, if anyone is looking for a job, we are currently looking for um, a product manager to run those experiments. So uh, don't forget to apply. Um, and here, the role of product marketing is really working very closely with, with the product team, design team, and um, our data team to really understand where the friction is, um, brainstorm together around ideas, um, and provide really the, the value proposition and how we should be positioning the different options uh, within, the, within the experiments. Um, and then the third area is around communications, uh, specifically in product emails and notifications. Um, and I must say here, we haven't really done as many experiments or as much A-B testing as I'd like to see, uh, but we're really looking at how to build the infrastructure better so we can test a lot more um, across the co communications we send to our customers. Thanks for sharing that. I, I, there's so much to love about that setup and I'll, I'll quickly highlight some of my, my early takes here. I love this idea of the web team having a very clear metric in mind or, and like how experimentation should help inform that metric and improve that metric. I think a lot of times when, you know, whether it's product marketing or the product marketing org thinks about the website, they they sometimes go about it in the wrong approach um, and they don't have that key. Like, what is this, what are the website trying to do, right? Like, what are we trying to do here? Um, and, and I'm sure when you're going page to page across your site with that metric in mind, it's helping inform the types of experiments that you do. So I think that's really smart. So I just wanted to, to one up the team there for, for that approach. But at the same time, I want to ask uh, before I get on the other things that I really like about the approach, does the product growth team or the growth team focus on the in-product experience have a similar kind of like core metric in mind, or does that change depending on the experiment that's being run? Um, so I, I actually loved your comment because you really <laughs> sort of hit on a lot of um, the discussions we've had over the last several months, because the web team originally was actually part of our demand gen team, and we only moved them into product marketing uh, a few months um, ago. Uh, really to basically turn them more into this growth engine. And as part of that, uh, we really thought about which key metric you should focus on as a web squad, because before they focused more on this um, sort of foundational projects. Um, and because we really want them to drive growth and we chose the conversion rate because it's basically the key growth metric that we can actually influence on the website. There are essentially two metrics on the website you care about. The first one is web traffic, 
but you can't really influence it from the web because web traffic is actually something that comes typically from um, you know paid search organic it's basically different teams that can really influence it once web traffic arrives to website you can't really grow it you just receive that so we want to support that metric but we have very few tools how to support it on the other hand the one metric that makes a huge difference for the rest of the funnel is conversion because that really drives how many people then continue with the funnel. So that's why we focused on that metric. Um, and actually the product team, they uh, they focus on also conversion metric across the funnel, but they just focus on the conversion metrics later in the funnel. So um, it's really about you know the percentage of customers who onboard or um, adopt new features. So it's um, it's basically similar metric, but just different stages of the journey. Yeah, I think that's really intelligent because it again, the and at the end of the day, everyone's focusing and rallying around this idea of conversion. But how that conversion is defined changes ever so slightly depending on where the customer is in the funnel. And I think that's really smart. And I want to go back to again the other thing that I really like about the setup is you highlighted a pain that I'm sure a lot of other product marketing and broader web teams struggle with. And that is idea of getting really good at experimenting with communications and copy and messaging. Um, you know, obviously that's a pain that's been felt so broadly that there are companies that exist just exclusively to do that. I know winter is one that gets talked about a lot. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm curious, why have you, and it doesn't have to be specific to your experiences as Spendek, but more generally, what do you think it is about testing the communications and copy side of things that has proven to be so challenging for product marketing teams historically? Oh, uh, that's a good question. I think, I think it's mainly that there are just so many different things to test because you can really test, you can start with the test in terms of is the value proposition going to be focused on uh, cost efficiency or are we going to go with user experience? You know, you can really test the high level ideas. But there is just so much that influences communication that you don't really know if customers are responding better to one value proposition over other, or they're actually responding to specific words chosen or to the design. So I think the real testing on communications actually take a lot of time because you really have to test so many different things. And you can only test one thing per test because otherwise you don't know what changes actually let to to the difference in the behavior so i think that's one thing that's hard and then second is also the sample size that you need to be really confident that what you changed actually made a difference because when we looked at um you know for example a couple of percent difference in open rate or click-through rate to be confident in that result you actually need um sample size of thousands of people um, receiving that communication. Um, so I think a lot of companies may not even have large enough population of customers to be able to run certain tests or large enough segments for some of those tests to run. So I think it's really a combination of the fact that there are so many different things that influence um, the results of each communication combined with the large samples you need to have to be really confident in those results. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think just to build off that, one of the other inherent challenges is 
I think as product marketers, because it's sometimes harder for us to put a quantitative aspect to the outcomes of the work that we're doing, that we will cling on to even the most marginal of increases in a specific metric. So if we're testing things and you see that option A is one or 2% greater than option B, even if you might not necessarily have the volume to make it statistically significant, as you suggested, we look at that and we say, look at this 2% increase. That's incredible. And it's like, well... Is it though? <laughs> so I, I say that only because as product marketers, I think, you know, as hard as it is for us to have a quantitative aspect to some of the things that we do, we really have to be careful and selective about when we get excited about something so that we can show that we are, you know, someone that can be trusted to say like, yes, there has been this increase. And also we have the numbers to back it up and the volume to show that these numbers are accurate. So just, a, just a, a, a something little I wanted to tag on there. You made us sound a bit desperate. <laughs> Sometimes we can be, I feel like. Sometimes we can be. Agree. No, I completely agree. Like if you see how I'm watching experiment results and hoping for every like, you know, zero point something increase. <laughs> so yes. Uh, and I get it too. Cause it, you know, again, as product marketers, we know, uh, as we just discussed, it's challenging to test uh, that type of stuff, because as you said, there's so many options, so many different ways you can experiment and you can only experiment with one thing at a time. Otherwise the results aren't as accurate as they could be. So when you spend, you know, weeks, if not months getting an experiment up and then the results aren't as exciting as you would hope to be, it's easy to cling to even the smallest of changes to, to get some excitement. So, uh, I say that, and, and I empathize with any product marketer who has had a similar experience. Cause I know I have in my career, <laughs> but I think what it also highlights is the fact that it's like the cross-functionality you need to achieve with um, with experimentation because just talking about a communication, you know, it's it's the copywriting um, that comes from you know the content marketers, it's the design that comes from your brand design team, it's the value proposition that comes from your product marketing, and then you need often someone very technical to be able to set this all up and help with tracking. So um, I think that's also why I'm quite excited that product marketing and growth are so aligned because product marketing is naturally such a cross-functional function. <laughs> that's such an oxymoron, but you know what I mean? Um, that um, I'm really excited that growth is closely aligned to, to product marketing to get back to some of the earlier points we, we made. Absolutely. So we, we just spoke uh, a bit about, again, the types of experimentation happening on the web and where product marketing, you know, can look to do some more experimentation and communications and messaging side of thing. But let's let's dive a little bit deeper into the product side of things. So we talked about, you know, the role of product marketing experimentation plays in the development and the refinement of the self-serve product experience. How does product marketing inform what that experience looks like, either during the development or the refinement of that experience? Um. So on the on the growth side, what's quite interesting is that basically what product marketing has been historically doing more on the lead gen side um, and sales led, we are basically now doing within the product. So the product positioning and messaging is um, really taking the central stage because we want customers to use um, the different parts of the product and you basically need to know how to pitch those parts of the product and how to enable the customers to use them. Um, so for example, on, um, on, on my team, there is um, also a product market is uh, focused on onboarding and customer education. Um, and she's building out um, the educational program to really enable customers to, to use our platform to the, to the fullest. 
um, then you also have the whole idea around voice of the customer, which comes uh, becomes even more important when it comes to growth because you have, you know, you don't really have the humans interacting with them. It all happens through the product. So every single word message design is um, so much more important. It's so much more impactful because you don't have anyone else to explain the context to it. Um, so this is like really informed by product marketing within the product. So we work very closely with product management um, and design teams to really create the experience in, in general. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And I think what that reinforces, at least for me, and looking back on experiences I've had in my career and in relationship with the product managers that I've worked with, I think at times, you know, as product marketers, we're so, so close to this idea, as you said, of like having to, even when a customer is in the product, properly position and sell a customer on taking the next action or adopting a specific area of functionality or even upgrading to another um, you know, tier within the product because it offers XYZ functionality and, and the benefits of that. We're so close to that that we forget that the product managers, they're focused on solving problems and they're focused on doing it in the most effective and efficient way possible. And I know that I've annoyed product managers in my career coming to them and saying, oh, I know that you and the designer came up with this copy, but it would be so much better if we said it like this and positioned it like mm -hmm. this. And I'm sure in meetings are rolling their eyes and they're cursing me out because I've just <laughs> added you know, additional hours of, of changes to either the words or the design ever so slightly. So I, I think as product marketers, we have to um, kind of empathize with the PMs and really help explain to them why that stuff is important. And again, it sounds like based on what you've align the team around at Spendesk, having that focus on conversion, I'm sure makes that conversation that much easier because you're mm. framing it in terms that the product manager or the, you know, the growth team or the web team can understand because that idea of conversion is consistent across that experience. Just what we're trying to convert on changes ever so slightly. So I say that again, as a product marketer who has, I'm sure annoyed a number of product managers <laughs> I've worked with, but it's really important to, to, to have that conversation and make sure that they understand from the beginning why you might be annoying them in, in a certain way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I must say, no, we are very lucky at Spendesk. We have really great uh, product team and design team. So they're very open to feedback and um, they have a lot of great ideas. So it's, uh, you know, you never, you never have the impression you're annoying anyone. <laughs> they, they're really nice. Yeah. And maybe your team is approaching it better than I have historically, um, or at least in earlier stages of my career. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. I, having that good relationship with the, with the product team and the growth team, I'm sure just yields that much better brainstorming and ideas on, on how certain things can be, you know, pitched in position within the product. You know, some of the best ideas around uh, copy, or again, that experience of convincing a customer why they should take a specific action has come from product managers and has come from growth managers because it's just a different perspective that they bring to the table. So yeah, I, I think for teams looking to orient themselves around growth and experimentation in this outsourced product, a method or the approach that you're taking at Spendesk, I think is one to emulate because I think, you know, I'm sure it's yielding some very positive results. <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind. <laughs> of course. So again, I got my last question here on our topic at hand before I dive into our final, final question. So I just want to look even more closely at the role of product marketing in shaping that self-serve product experience. What would you say are the inherent benefits of product marketers pushing to be as involved in the shaping and development of their process as possible? Not only for customers of the product itself, but for a product marketer's own professional growth and development. Mm. So I think for the experience itself is really the idea that you're providing different perspectives 
um, and product teams. It really depends on every company, but in some companies, the product teams can be extremely technical um, and not necessarily have the best customer experience in mind. Um, so you often come to it with like very different view and you, as a product marketers, we, we have that voice of customer always in the back of our minds. So we are always thinking about the customer experience. Um, I think what you may also find sometimes is that different teams are um, sort of aligned with different parts of the customer journey. Um, and um, it's always good to have someone who sort of sees the whole journey at once and considers really if the journey makes sense as a whole. Um, and then it's really about understanding what do we want to say at which part of the journey? Uh, what's the message we want to promote? How do we want to um, highlight a particular product feature? Um, so I think it, it also um, helps with the overall um, product adoption. And then from the point of view of the individual product marketer, so I always felt that the product marketing journey, especially in sales-led growth, was very linear. And you sort of just, you know, your product marketing analyst, then associate manager, manager, senior manager, and then you reach director. And then what do you do after that? You know, you sort of can become maybe head of marketing, but sometimes um, it's very hard to move from product marketing to head of marketing. And what I really love about growth is that it gives you a lot more opportunities um, and it really opens up your career beyond product marketing, which I do love doing and is very exciting. Um, but I think after, you know, having done it for many, many years, you're looking for uh, learning something new and new challenges. And especially the growth area is one that's um, really um, becoming more and more popular and there are so many things happening there. And so many new skill sets you can um, you can learn. Um, for example, the experimentation, which I find extremely exciting. So I feel um, for a career as a product marketer, it's also a very hot area. Um, and I think it's very developed in the US, but I think in Europe we're still a little bit behind. So I feel um, for product marketers who are pivoting towards growth, um, self-serve, product-led growth, all these areas. Um, they'll be in a lot of demand in Europe because there is just um, more, I would say there are more demand than, than supply of them currently. Yeah, you're, you're so right. And I, and I think kind of, as we touched on earlier, you know, this idea of product marketers, not necessarily always being able to come to the table with the quantitative side of things as, as often as we might be expected to. And I think having that growth and experimentation exposure kind of gives you the quantitative tool set to say, Hey, we're going to test this, even in the context of positioning and messaging and copy, you know, we're going to take a very qualitative thing, like words on the screen or design, and we're going to attach this very quantitative, you know, non-debatable element through an experiment that I think, like you said, just takes product marketers from one level to the next level that much more quickly. And yeah, it opens up a lot more doors, the broader set of skills that you have. So I think that's, you know, some great insight and some great advice to share. So thank you for that. What I will also say just on the first point about the benefits of product marketing, you know, being involved in that process. I'm sure there are many product marketers who have worked at companies where there's been hackathons. And I know hackathons are exciting because you get to see these really, really talented product teams come up with some really, really innovative stuff in such a short amount of time. 
But I know I've attended some where I thought like, wow, the functionality here is incredible. But if only they had considered the customer experience, as you said, or if they had maybe just done this thing because as a product marketer, I have this customer knowledge that would just take it from this level to the next. And I think that's often what you find when some of those hackathon demos go from demo to actual product experience, having your product marketer be part of that transition makes that experience that much better for the customer at the end of the day. So I agree with you hundred percent. I think if you are a company or you're working at a company where there is this shift to self-server product-led growth, product marketing needs to be raising their hand to touch on all the things that you talked about, the, the positioning and messaging, um, you know, the voice of the customer and the customer and, and customer experience. I think that's so critical. So, so again, thank you for sharing that. Awesome. Well, Yana, this has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed our conversation today and the insights you've shared around, you know, this relationship between product marketing and growth. As we said, they're not two teams that you often think work as closely as together as they probably should and could. So I appreciate you sharing your insights and again, your experiences as Bendesk and how those teams have worked together. But before I let you go, I do want to ask you the same question I ask all my guests. And that's, if you could be a product marketer at any company in the world for any product or service they offer, what company and solution would you choose and why? So I don't know how many of your guests um, give you the super boring answer um, that they would basically stick with the company they are at. Um, but I must say I would choose Spendesk um, because we have really strong culture. You know, I I'm genuinely love people I work with. They are fun. It's, it's um, really an atmosphere where you can try and fail without judgment. Um, it's also a company that's growing very quickly. Um, you know, we were 300 people a year ago and now we are over 500. We achieved unicorn status in January. So it's a fun part to be in. And also I, I think it's really exciting to be in the FinTech sector, um, especially in Europe. There is so much happening in fintech. I think out of all the industries I was part of, um, I really find the fintech one the most active in terms of changes and new companies starting every day um, and new innovation and innovations in general. So I must say because of the culture, the opportunities, the growth, I would probably stick with Spendesk. Um, but there is one more company I want to mention, which is called Our Space. And it's um, it's actually a company that was started only a couple of months ago, but they already um, had their um, Series A. They already had, um, you know, they're launching on uh, Product Hunt. And um, it's like a company really that's one to watch. And I know the, the founders are a really amazing group of um, humans and leaders. So I think that's, that's probably a company um, that's also worth considering. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. And, and I think, as you said, it's great when you can find yourself at a company that ticks all those boxes, as you suggested. And for anybody listening, I know you mentioned earlier on that you're currently hiring for a number of different roles. So if anybody's looking to, you know, find themselves in a fast paced, um, you know, part of the SaaS world around fintech, it's an area again, that I know very well, just in my own role at Jobber, couldn't agree with you more, always stuff happening, lots of opportunities, lots of growth. Um, so yeah, definitely consider spend desk, especially if you know, you're, you find yourself to be in Europe or you're looking to relocate even maybe. Um, and yeah, thanks for sharing our space. It's not a company that I've ever heard of, but I'll definitely check them out because it sounds like they're doing some, some pretty cool stuff and they've got a great team behind them. So thank you for sharing that. Of course. Awesome. Well, like I said, Yana, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. Before I let you go, if our listeners want to reach out to you, maybe about opportunities at Spendesk, maybe just to pick your brain about, again, aligning product marketing and growth more closely, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? 
Um, so they can either find me on LinkedIn or um, my work email is my first name dot surname at spendas.com. So if if people want to know about any job opportunities, they can reach me out there. Awesome. And before I let you go, you, you also have a a pretty awesome blog that you run. Um, if I if I correctly, would you, would you mind sharing where our listeners can can learn more about some of the work that you're doing outside of Spendesk? Of course. Thanks for the thanks for the mention. Um, yes. Yeah, so um, it's linked on my LinkedIn. It's called the Sassy Go to Market, uh, and I'm trying to share the different tips and frameworks I've learned over my career with other budding product marketers. Yes, I've checked it out in preparation for our conversation, and there's some really good insights. And and you know, if you even enjoyed half of what Yana said in our conversation today, you will get a ton of value out of visiting, um, you know, the Sassy GTM, which I think is a really clever name. Uh, it's obviously harder to describe the the cleverness as you're saying it, but when you check it out, it's it's I think it's pretty neat. So uh, check it out as as Yana said, it's linked on our LinkedIn. Um, you know, if you if you enjoy it, subscribe. It's through Substack. So yeah, it's a lot of great advice. Um, so yeah, definitely wanted to give you the opportunity to share that with our listeners. Thank you so much, Mark. And thank you so much for having me here today. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer, and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are.